I'm going to start with the story at first and think of 1994, if you can think that that long ago. Some of you aren't that old, uh, and so, but if you're old enough, you remember that year. And um, the Jazz Fest was in full bloom, and it still is today in our city. And so I, I was at kind of like, I had a very, very short music career, which means I didn't really have one. And uh, so, so I, I played an instrument, I played saxophone, and I, I did uh, played some jazz music at the time. But this was like a little climax and actually ending of what I was doing in music. I'd gone to school and performed and learned. And that night, that night was awesome because I got to play at the festival. It was, I was in the brass section of a, of a gospel choir that ended the, the, the week. It was like the final night, two shows. Back then, it was the, the, the main stage was at the corner of Jean Mons and St. Catherine. Now they've moved it up a little bit into that new quartier. But um, the night was, was really awesome for me because I got to be you know, playing in front of 50,000 people and this little part of the band. And it was, just, it was a beautiful kind of ending to a season in my life where I shifted into other stuff. And, you know, these days I'm not doing much music. That night for me, though, when I think about it, I think, man, we can just kind of dwell on that night. But it was really a culmination of 20 years because I grew up in a family that loved music. And um, some of my brothers and sisters play better than I do. My dad loved music. I grew up in a church that loved music as well. And it was often encouraged. I had a whole bunch of mentors uh, that encouraged me in that way. And I got into music. And I remember the first time I was in high school and I picked up this old beat up. If you ever played music in a high school band, you know that most of the instruments, at least back then, were all beat up. None of them looked great. And so I picked up this saxophone and I kind of fell in love. And, and I just loved it. I loved the look and the feel. And I as I started to play it and, and get a hang of it, I started to love the sound. And, and I realized when I was playing back then, you know, at this jazz festival, it was a culmination of 20 years of kind of like learning and curiosity and being mentored. And it made me think about actually this evening and this theme. And it's this idea that I want, just want to get across tonight. One big idea that every end has a beginning. Every end has a beginning. For me, that night at the Jazz Fest had an origin story because I grew up with music and I grew up learning music. And for me, that night was a culmination of things. It had actually a beginning to that end. Now, maybe, maybe you look at something in your life or you look at a part of your life or a season of your life and you can actually tell us an origin story about it. Maybe it's a relationship you're in. Maybe it's, a, it's a something you've achieved. Maybe it's an experience or what you've come to learn. And you realize, looking back, there's actually an origin story to where you've arrived. There's roots and circumstances and, and forks in the road that you took. Well, the birth of Jesus is no different. We look at this event and we celebrate this event and we, we take it as like this one moment in history. But Jesus' birth had, was both an end and a beginning. It was the end of something, and it was actually even the beginning of something. And I just, for now, I just want to talk about the end for a second. The end of a chapter in God's story, and some of the phrases we, were, we read from the Gospels tonight highlighted that, God with us. That was the end of a chapter of God's story, that he would come down in the form of his son, Jesus, and make his dwelling among us, and make his home among us. One of my favorite translations of the Bible says, God moved into the neighborhood. That was a beautiful moment in history. But Jesus' birth had an origin story. Origin stories are pretty popular these days, right? Especially in comics, like Wolverine got an origin story in the theaters, and Black Widow's getting one this coming spring, if you're into that. I, my, my 
my daughter just saw Frozen 2 and she explained it to me and I'm like, that's an origin story. We get to kind of go back into, into what this person's life was like. And so origin stories are pretty popular because we're hungry to know, how did this all come together? Why did this happen? Like, who is this person? Where did they come from and why did this happen? Well, Jesus had, a, had an origin story. In fact, one of the gospel writers, Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, he actually starts off with something that many of us would think is pretty boring, a genealogy. Like just a list of names of, of where Jesus came from and, and kind of the ancestry. But the word genealogy means Genesis and, or the word origin. And Matthew actually tells us that Jesus had this origin story. Where did Jesus come from? How did he get there? And outside of this being a miraculous thing, Matthew tells us that he's the son of Abraham. Goes way back to the early roots of this famous patriarch, founding patriarch of Israel. Jesus' roots go back to the pre-forming days of Israel. And Matthew calls him the son of Abraham. Generations later, Matthew calls him the son of David, Israel's famous king. Israel became a nation. They needed a king in that time period. And Jesus becomes part of this royal line of these kings. Well, not all the kings, but of King David. And so Matthew starts us off helping us understand this origin story. Jesus was the son of Abraham. Jesus was the son of David. And he helps us get this idea that Jesus is part of this overarching story of the scriptures telling us how God saw the state of our world and acted. God saw the state of our world and acted. Actually, I forgot something with me. Um, Antonio, I saw you there. Like, there's a little cup there. Can you bring it to me? So there's someone that works in our church. Her name is Beth Weaver. We love her. And uh, she keeps a bunch of Skittles on her desk. And so uh, I, I thought of this. H how do we describe this, this? Like, what did God do when he saw the state of the world and he acted? Have you ever been in a big mess and an overwhelming mess? Like maybe you dropped a can of paint and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm, we're like, where am I going to start? Like what corner am I going to start? How is this going to happen? Or you've, you've just, you know, completely got dirty. Well, here's a whole bunch of Skittles. And this to me kind of describes the origin story of, of how God acted in history. Imagine God's looking at the world and now all these Skittles fall. Isn't that crazy? Oh my gosh. Like, okay, so where do I start? Like, which, where do I do? Do I, can I pick them all up? I don't got a broom. I have nothing. I'm going to step on one of them for sure. Some of the kids will come and eat this later. I, I, I. So, exactly, exactly. But what did God do? God, God steps down and he chooses one. Just chooses one, Abraham. Like, I'm going to start something with you that's going to bless the nations that's going to do something extraordinary. You, you won't get a chance to see it. It's going to be generations and generations away from you. But I'm just going to start with you and form this people to be the light of the world. It's amazing because this people would become this small kingdom, and this kingdom needed a king. And God chooses this obscure, youngest of the family, scrawny little kid named David who's a shepherd boy and says, this king, even though he's not perfect, he's going to reflect something of the light that I want the world to see. And David becomes a king. And Israel, over time, failed at being that light. They didn't do the best job. They were imperfect. But the story wasn't over. Because Abraham's seed, the scriptures tell us, and David's royal line would lead to God's climactic plan to open up. 
Matthew starts to pull from the prophets of the Old Testament to tell us, like, what's going on here? What actually happened? See, I'm starting to step on these skittles right now. Um, what's going to happen? In fact, he, he quotes from one prophet that says, out of Bethlehem, out of you, a ruler and a shepherd would come. He quotes from one of the prophets and says, see, they were talking about this, that one would come out of you, out of your region, out of your town, out of your people. When the angels tell Joseph, we heard about this and read it off the screen, the angels tell Joseph, all this would be fulfilled or all that happened would be fulfilled and would fulfill, if you go to the next slide, would fulfill what God had said through the prophet. I love that. All this that's taking place, what's happening with Mary, what's happening with you, what's going to take place in a short time, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, here's this moment, God with us. All this would happen to fulfill what's going on. In fact, Matthew loves this word. When he writes the story of Jesus, he uses the word fulfilled 16 times in his gospel to keep pointing us back to this origin story, that this didn't just happen. God had a plan. God had a purpose. God wanted this light to be for the nations, and he was not going to stop unless it would take shape. And even though Abraham was just a small piece, and David was a small piece, and Israel messed up here and there, God brought his son Jesus to be the fulfillment of all of that. He came near. He came close. He made his dwelling among us. And think about how God did this. Like just one simple skittle. Abraham, who's a Mesopotamian nomad. David, who was the smallest, youngest of his family, a shepherd boy. Jesus, who's born in a manger, who gets the label that he comes from Nazareth, the place that not many important people came from unknown for 30 years, the son of a carpenter, before anybody even knows him. It's like God comes to us in both ordinary and extraordinary ways. And now we celebrate the extraordinary, but it all started in such ordinary ways. Isn't that amazing? Such simple ways. I love how Bono, U2's lead singer, says this. There's a story of him coming home from a really long tour, and he arrives home in Dublin, Ireland, and he attends Christmas Eve service. And Bono describes that in that evening, for some reason, at the end of this tour, this Christmas service, this time in his life, he grasped the heart of the Christmas story that in Jesus, God became a human being. And with tears streaming down his face, he described these words. And Bono realized the idea, and you can read it with me off the screen if you'd like, the idea that God, if there is a force of love and logic in the universe, that it would seek to explain itself is amazing enough that it would seek to explain itself by becoming a child born in poverty and straw, a child, I just thought, wow. I saw the genius of picking a particular point in time and deciding to turn on this. Love needs to find a form. Intimacy needs to be whispered. Love has to become an action or something concrete. And it would have to happen. There must be an incarnation. God must, or love must, become or be made flesh. What an amazing realization of what Christmas is. That God would incarnate himself, coming to us in Jesus. What seemed so subversive was equally spectacular. And this end, at least in this end of this chapter, it was a new beginning. 
So I said, every ending has a beginning, but this end became a beginning. Jesus' birth led to his life and his teachings and his miracles and, and his death and his resurrection. In fact, I was saying this just yesterday in our church gathering on Sunday. I said, there are pockets of our society that cannot ignore the fact that when we see the truest of love, the most robust in, uh, forms of justice, the sense of hospitality, the welcome of stranger, there's no parts of our society that says, where did this come from? And often people look back as they piece it together and they realize the person and teachings of Jesus has influenced us to even consider that things like justice and love and hospitality and grace are possible. And so God with us, I love that. But it starts a new beginning. God with us starts telling us something. Jesus starts demonstrating God for us. God with us, Jesus starts demonstrating God for us. And Jesus showed us how God didn't just come to be with us, but how God was for us. Jesus showed us what this meant because he demonstrated. See, Jesus demonstrated a greater love. Jesus demonstrated a greater justice. Jesus demonstrated a greater forgiveness. Jesus demonstrated a greater welcome of, of stranger. Jesus showed us what it meant and what, how God was for us. And as big and as beautiful as that is, God stuck to his subversive plan. God stuck to his subversive plan. You know the church, his followers over the centuries have been their best when they've been marginalized, when they've been under the radar, when they've been sometimes put to the side. God has always stuck to his subversive plan. God with us, God for us. And here's how God does this. And here's where this leads, God in us. God actually wants to dwell within us, not just among us, but within us. The early Christians actually started to experience how God would do this. There's one writer of the New Testament, his name is Paul, and he pens these words to this church in a town in the, in the Middle East. He says, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in you. He's trying to just help them understand, like, what do you, what's your experience? What's happening in you? How are you growing in this way? He says, because Christ is in you. It's the hope of glory. And what does that glory look like? It looks like these first followers of Jesus who opened their homes to strangers. It looks like these, these followers of Christ, when they met together, they had these side closets where food and clothes extra was there so people can come in and take when they needed. It. it looked like, like when people started to serve the poor and burying the dead with dignity because the dead were left off to the side. And these early Christ followers used to take the dead bodies and give them proper, dignified burials. These early followers picked up unwanted baby girls from garbage dumps and adopted them and took them in. And they risked their lives caring for and bandaging people who had leprosy. That was the hope of glory. This was God's future vision for all humanity happening in these little pockets of these followers of Jesus living out this message. And the only way Paul could explain this was this. This is how it's happening. Christ is in you. He's doing something in you. He's changing you. He's transforming you. He's, he's, he's leading you to a different kind of love and a different kind of hospitality that the world doesn't know of. See, God's plan wasn't just to come be with us, but to come live in us. And if he lives in us, if he lives in us, we come to find true hope and life that he offers, and then it overflows beyond us. Beyond us. I mean, if you really ask yourself a question, what would you really want for Christmas? Wouldn't you want that kind of hope in you? that kind of transformation in you, that kind of love in you. I'm going to invite the, the team to come up as we slowly come to a close tonight, but just think about this. And 
If you're a human being, and I know all of us here are, (laughs) with beating blood, or every person that you lock eyes with, I think in their heart, doesn't long to just see the world healed. I think you and I long to see our hearts healed. We want to see the world healed, but I think there's something in us that wants to see our hearts healed. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we want to see reconciliation among the nations. We pray and hope that the nations do not come to war. But I know that in our hearts, we also long for reconciliation. We want it to happen in us, not just around us. I think that if we're honest with ourselves, we want people to forgive us. But I think if we really dig deep, we want to become people with the ability to forgive others. Because when we can't forgive others, we're the ones who are left in a prison. We can be forgiven by everyone and still live in a prison because we've not forgiven. And I think if we really think hard enough, we want what God wants to do in us so we can become those kinds of people. And here's this Christmas promise. God with us can become God in us when we receive him. We sang it in the lyrics of the songs. God with us can become God in us. And so, as we wrap up tonight, like I said, every ending has a beginning. Jesus' birth had a beginning. The end of that chapter had a beginning. But Jesus' birth became a beginning. And here's my, here's my invitation to you. Jesus' birth can become your origin story. Jesus' birth, God sending Christ to earth, can become your origin story. If we put our trust in Christ and take God's invitation to receive him, his story can become our origin story and our ending can change. So let me ask you, especially as you head into the holidays, what's your hope for an ending of your life? What's your hope for an ending? What kind of life and purpose and meaning do you long for? Think about it. What do you long for? And if every end has a beginning, the beginning matters. If every end has a beginning, the beginning matters. What end do you want? You might want it, but what you really need is to think back and say, what kind of beginning do I want? And my invitation to you is Jesus can be that beginning. He's the kind of beginning that changes our ending. And Christmas was God's invitation for a new beginning for the world, but even for you. I know we long it for the world, but if we're honest, we long it for us in our own hearts. So that's my invitation to you tonight. I'm going to invite you just as the, as the team sings this song. It's more of a performance song for you just to listen to. Just listen to these words and reflect and consider what kind of ending do you want? And are you open to a new beginning in Jesus? It's the eve of Christmas Eve, and some of us um, probably haven't prayed in a long time. So I thought we we're going to pray now. How's that? Would you guys mind if you pray with me? Uh, and I'd love to just give you an opportunity because this week's going to be a crazy week, and I just want to just close down these last this last minute or so, just so we can be quiet and reflective. And maybe you think about that question I asked. Um, What kind of ending do you want? And are you open to Christ being a new beginning for a new ending? God loves to just work with people. He loves to just, just 
work with each of us at a time. He loves doing that. He, loves, he wants to do that with you too, if you're open. So let me pray for you. Our Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that the story we are celebrating tonight is both a climactic moment in history, but so deeply rooted in your heart and in your bigger story that you saw the state of our world and the state of our hearts that you would act, that you would act on our behalf. And we thank you for the culmination of all these pieces and how it was fulfilled in Jesus, your son. And even that was just a glimpse, just a start, just the inauguration, even a new beginning to a new chapter for what you really want to do is restore humanity. And in the middle of that, God, you want to restore our hearts and our lives. And um, some of us celebrate that already, and some of us are here tonight longing for that. And I pray, particularly for those who are longing for that tonight, that you would um, reveal yourself to them in such a way that they would have the kind of faith to be able to receive Jesus and start a new story, a new beginning for a new ending. So the kind of healing they long for, the kind of reconciliation they long for, the kind of forgiving heart they long for, Lord, that they would allow you to start something new in them so they can become those, that kind of person. And so we just pray for that, Lord. We pray for this, this next week, this next Christmas week, God, that, that, that the different things maybe that we would not have noticed, we would pay attention to, and they would remind us of this incredible gift. Maybe it's a song in the mall or a phrase at dinner time, or a, a scene in a movie, God, that would point us back to this beautiful story. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.